Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm Lindsay Foss. I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy by day and wellness advocate and educator for first responders and frontline workers by night, or something like that. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life, behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Time is marching steadily on, and we are days away from Christmas 2020. Now, I know for many on the front lines, Christmas magic has worn off a bit. Many of you will be working Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, sacrificing the time with your own families to be out there ensuring the health and safety of our communities. You do not get enough thanks for these kinds of sacrifices. Please know that even though we suck at saying it enough and making it clear, we are thankful for what you do. I am thankful for what you do. As we move through this season, our family has been talking about traditions quite a bit. Now, this was prompted largely by something my kids watched. My kids are six and three. And Frozen is playing a pretty big role in the lives of my children right now. Elsa, Anna, Kristoff, Sven, Olaf, the whole crew are pretty well a part of the family at this point. And the songs can be heard in the halls of my house pretty well any moment of the day or night. We, of course, have Disney+. And we're recently watching Olaf's Frozen Adventure which, if you don't have young kids, is a 20-ish minute short about Olaf seeking to understand and create Christmas traditions for his frozen friends. Following watching this short a number of weeks ago, my son, who's six, has been asking a lot of questions about traditions. Obviously because of the plot, he started out talking about Christmas traditions, and we talked about the various traditions our family has incorporated over the years. Things like filling and opening our homemade advent calendars, going out to cut down our Christmas tree, the music we choose when we decorate the tree, our annual Foss family's Christmas sing-along party, which will sadly be cancelled for 2020, writing letters to Santa, going to see Christmas lights around town, and our process for opening gifts on Christmas morning. Through these conversations, I've realized how much we've built over the years and how these highlight what we value about the season. What I found most interesting about my son's new obsession with traditions is that his questions started to generalize. After a while, he stopped asking specifically about our Christmas traditions and started asking about our traditions having to do with all kinds of things. We've talked about traditions associated with every holiday conceivable as well as traditions for big life events, such as when someone gets married, when someone has a baby, and when someone we love dies. I'll admit, these are fascinating conversations to have with a six-year-old, 
particularly possibly when you're a therapist. And they challenge me to think about how I think and how our family shapes these kinds of significant events. Since our conversations began, they've continued to evolve, and we are now talking more and more about the small traditions, the everyday traditions, the silly things our family does day to day. Things like asking one another about how our day was, and not allowing for simple answers like fine, talking around the dinner table and not letting the TV be on, reading books together each night, and laying in bed to talk about big life questions. As these conversations have unfolded, I've been increasingly aware of how these traditions, big and small, help me to anchor. What do I mean by anchor? Well, to me, anchoring means to feel a bit of stability and security, even in the midst of bumpy waters. A sense of being connected to something that is strong and sure. And when I think about these daily, seasonal, and significant life event traditions, I realize that they are a part of what builds that for me. To some extent, it's the routine and the predictability that feels meaningful, that I can trust and know that I can expect specific parts of my day to happen, and that we're working together to make these happen as a family because we collectively value them. All of this has had me thinking more about how we anchor and what we choose to anchor to. I mean, we can try to anchor to all kinds of things. Like if you literally think about a boat trying to anchor, there are all kinds of surfaces that an anchor can try to grip to, but some are going to be way more effective than others. One of the mistakes I see for a lot of first responders and frontline workers is anchoring too much into the work itself. This happens often, and it makes sense that it does, because at its core, the work is good. What I mean by that is that the work is associated with all kinds of positive things. Being a helper, making a difference, risking and sacrificing of self to support others. Perceptually, the work is honorable and demands humility and self-sacrifice, all things that our culture praises and values. The work can also feel like it fits our personal interests of caring for others, helping others, solving problems, making a difference, and so on. And to some extent, all of these things are true. But there's another side to the work that we're often not warned about or sufficiently made aware of when we go into it. The systems level challenges that we've been talking about over the past few weeks can have a significant impact on how we feel about the work and how much we really get to engage in the parts of the work that feel meaningful to us. Now, let me clarify that finding a sense of meaning in our work is a good thing. In many ways, this is the goal in choosing a career, to experience a sense of vocation rather than simply a job. A job is something we do to pay the bills. A vocation, on the other hand, is an occupation that is regarded as particularly worthy and requiring great dedication 
Vocation is connected to a sense of passion for the work and meaning associated with doing the work well. When someone seeks career counseling, typically they are seeking support to align their personal interests, passions, and natural capacities with work that is experienced as vocation, that brings personal meaning and fulfillment through professional experiences. So we recognize that finding a sense of meaning in our work is at its heart good. And it's a really common thing that we as people want to find. The challenge for vocation for first responders and frontline workers is that the work is complex. And while aspects of the work provide a sense of meaning and significance, other aspects drain the life out of us. I remember speaking years ago with a veterinarian who summarized this really well. He talked about how veterinarians go into the job because it's in alignment with their personal love for animals and their desire to experience meaning by helping animals. But once in the work, they end up spending a significant amount of time euthanizing animals and not due necessarily to fatal illness, but more often due to the owner's choice to not fund more expensive ongoing treatments. The job for them ends up becoming draining emotionally and psychologically because the high frequency tasks are fundamentally at odds with the heart going into the work and the sense of vocation attached to the work. Similarly, in first response and frontline work, the heart going into the work, the sense of passion and vocation is often at odds with the work itself over time. Yes, you get to make a difference. Yes, you get to help people. And yes, what you do is incredibly important. But the persistent weight of systemic and individual limitations to helping can create disillusionment and jadedness, which feels like it disconnects us from our sense of vocation, passion, and heart for the work. The demands of the job are also so incredibly high that we tend not to have a lot of time to step back and think about how we're making meaning of the work that we do. We just know that our bodies feel tired We're irritable and snippy with the people we care about, and we wonder if it's worth it. We will often look at others at work who we perceive as jaded and burnt out and think, God, I hope I'm never like that. And yet we tend to fail to see the warning signs that we're on the exact same slippery slope because it's gradual and subconscious. And the nature of the work and life is such that we don't make the time to step back and see it for what it is. We will fail to see it until we are so far down the hole that it feels impossible to get back out. When our daily traditions and routines, the sources of our meaning making rooted in our values and passions, focus a significant amount of our sense of meaning in our work, it can be dangerous. The work you do is in constant flux and is regularly interacting with some of the hardest and ugliest aspects of human existence. 
It's confronted by limitations, bureaucracy, and helplessness while striving to intervene, make a difference, and be a source of hope to others. It sits in contradiction. We've been talking about a strategic action plan for wellness since the beginning of the series, and this is one more layer. There are two specific pieces I would argue are connected to being intentional and strategic when it comes to how we identify with the work and the meaning it has for our lives. First, when you anchor into the work, anchor into it well. What I mean by this is take time to step back from the tasks, the limits, the challenges, the yucky stuff, and allow yourself to anchor into the meaning it has for you and what it means about you that you continue to be in the work. I know that in my work, it can be easy to get caught up in feeling like a session went a bit sideways, the number of phone calls I didn't get a chance to return, the weight of a specific story that was shared that day, or my confidence in the outcomes of a suicide risk assessment. The stuff can cloud my ability to stay connected to why any of it matters. And if I hurry through my day and then race home, I will carry the weight of all of this with me without any of the protective factors of being anchored into the meaning of it all. I have a routine in my day now, a tradition, if you will, of taking a few breaths at the end of my day before I head to my car to go home. I take a few breaths and I remind myself that I love my work. I love being allowed into the lives of my clients. I'm honored by their willingness to let me come alongside them. I work at connecting to that part of me that chose this career so many years ago that wanted to make the world a better place for just one person at a time. And I try to focus on ways that I was able to engage with that goal on any given day. I haven't always taken this pause at the end of my day. I used to race home and launch myself into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then I would wake up the next day and do it all over again. And you know what I can tell you about that time in my life? It is the deepest into burnout I have ever run. It was early in my career, and I wasn't given the tools to know what was happening or how to change it. The reality was that because I cared deeply about my work, I believed that my work was incredibly important, and I found significant personal meaning in it. When hard days happened, which they were bound to when working at that time with sexual assault and domestic violence survivors struggling largely with PTSD, but it felt like it sunk me. Their struggles became markers of my success or failure, and it was way too much. I'm not going to suggest that I have never tended toward burnout since then. I find for myself and those I know and those I work with, managing the risk for burnout is a tenuous balancing act that has some ebb and flow. But let me tell you that pause at the end of each day is a lifeline for me. It is the space where I can look at where I am at and get a sense of where I am in that ebb and flow. It lets me spot any early signs that I'm moving towards something less healthy 
and allows me to make some pivots back towards my strategic action plan or to change up my plan a bit to be responsive to newer changing stressors. I said that there were two pieces connected to how we identify with our work and the meaning we make of it. As I just spoke about, the first was anchoring into the work well and being intentional about carving out time to focus on specific aspects of the work that highlight a healthful meaning-making process. The second is not letting the work be the exclusive source for meaning. Now, this might seem obvious, and yet to a lot of people, they seem to really struggle to implement this. I think this is because when we're in the work, yes, it's chaotic and crazy, but it's also familiar. And often, we're surrounded by a team of colleagues who are like family and in it with us. We know who we are when we're in the work. We know who and how we're supposed to be. There's a sense of stability in the instability, a sense of predictability in the chaos, and it can absorb us. What this can look like is going home at the end of the day or being in public settings in your personal life and strangely craving being back at work where you know where and how you fit. I've had moments like these. Moments where my kids are asking to play something that feels outside of my wheelhouse and I have this internal pull to go do some work to place myself in something that feels familiar and where I know what's expected of me and I know I can meet those expectations with success. Can you think of some of those moments that it felt like this for you? Parties you've been at where you've had no idea what to say or how to carry on a quote-unquote normal conversation. Interactions in daily life where it feels like you don't know how to be, again, quote-unquote normal. Or not knowing what to do with yourself when you have some downtime. We have to be careful The work you do is important, without a doubt, but when we make it an exclusive source of meaning, we're entering a precarious space where the likelihood for burnout rises exponentially and where our general capacity to experience life satisfaction decreases significantly. You know when you go to the bank to discuss investing, they talk about diversifying your portfolio? It means putting a little bit in a lot of different places in an effort to balance out the volatility of the market. Life is like this. We have to diversify our portfolio when it comes to how we make meaning of ourselves and our world in an effort to balance out the volatility that life is filled with. Hello 2020. Work can be one part of our meaning-making portfolio, but it cannot and should not ever be the only one. Investing energy thoughtfully and intentionally into other areas where you can find meaning in your life is a game changer in creating sustainable wellness. Some ideas for areas to pour into can include investing in family and friends and being intentional about how you show up with and experience enjoyment and meaning from your family time. Investing in hobbies, sports, or interests that provide a sense of enjoyment, connection, and meaning. Investing in volunteerism, social justice initiatives, or other areas where you can lean into a sense of meaning. 
and seeking out a side hustle that feels in alignment with your interests. I know several first responders who spend their days off doing a second job that has nothing to do with frontline work, such as baking and decorating cakes or doing custom woodworking projects. Several of my frontline worker friends volunteer in community event planning, athletics, or other areas of personal interest. These activities can add stress in their own unique ways, but they also offer a breadth of experience and exposure to life that helps to balance out some of the burden of the work you do. In my own world, my strategic action plan, as it relates to how I anchor into things outside of my work, includes a host of different things. Just to name a few, within my family, I anchor into moments with my kids like couch cuddles, reading books at bedtime, and when I'm more stressed at work, I tend to make a point of starting tickle fights because their laughter is absolutely infectious and it actually helps me to calibrate my mood. I invest in some hobbies and interests, which include exercise, going for walks with close friends who get me and challenge me. I like doing crafty things and I have a secret love for organizing stuff. I also volunteer, although that's been a bit halted with COVID. I've spent several years on a team that pulls off an incredible kid swap event twice a year. And no, that doesn't mean trading children. It means swapping your old kid's junk for cash. It's fun to put together, and the team I work with on this project is amazing and hilarious. The problems that arise in that space seem small and comical relative to the challenges I face in my work. And it offers a good counterbalance to the seriousness of much of what I do while leaning on some of my skills. To be honest, this podcast is in some ways another balance for me. Allowing me to use my work and engaging in teaching and advocacy with the learning and wisdom gained from over a decade of working as a trauma therapist without having to add more session time has been a wonderful way to feel connected to a source of meaning making that balances out some of the demands. Built into all of these things are routines and traditions that have significance for me. And they'll look a little different from one person to the next. But at the end of the day, these things don't tend to just happen. We have to put them in place. We have to be intentional and implement strategically which means we also need to step back to take notice of where we have gaps and how we want to start working at filling them more effectively. Have you noticed yet that I talk a lot about intention and strategy? I feel like these are words I hear myself saying a lot here and in my clinical work. They are keywords for living, most especially when you face persistent stress day in and day out. Human nature tends to get really caught up in things, and we tend to live quite willy-nilly and flying by the seat of our pants. We hope for things to feel better, but things are unlikely to change unless we pour some energy into changing them. And they won't change in a direction we want unless we work at moving it in that direction. So you will keep hearing me talk about intention and strategy, because this is where we need to invest. This week, I want to encourage you to think about your own family traditions, whether it be holiday traditions, significant life event traditions, or the traditions of daily living. Think about what those traditions say about you and your family. 
What do these traditions say about what you collectively choose to value and prioritize? I wonder what ways you might create or hone some traditions, personally or as a family, that would help you anchor well into the work you do and anchor well outside of your work too. I'm going to also invite you to take and adapt the end of the day pause that I shared about earlier. At the end of your workday, before you race for home, take a minute in your office or station, in your car, or wherever you can find that's quiet to take a few breaths, reflect on your day, and get curious about some of your needs to anchor back to what matters for you. I've included these suggestions in the show notes, so take a look if you need to reference back. As always, please feel free to follow me on Facebook or Instagram. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or topic ideas you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email me. I'll include my email address in the show notes. Wishing you and yours a safe and connected holiday season. Until next time, stay safe.